So this morning, we're going to wrap up our series entitled Courage, Conviction, and Calling. And as I shared over the last few weeks, I really believe that these three words are not just focal points for our fast. I really believe they're really three words that God's given us for this year. I believe that 2024 is a year that we're going to need courage, we're going to need conviction, and we're going to need to understand the calling of God on our lives with greater clarity than any other time in our lives. And so I hope that you have learned some things over the last few weeks. I hope that you're hungry for more. And today we're going to kind of dial down on that last thought of what does it really mean to understand the calling of God upon our lives. So Ezekiel 22, if you want to look there with me, has kind of been our foundational scripture. And Ezekiel 22 kind of gives us the reason why. Why do we need courage? Why do we need calling? And why do we need to understand? Why do we need conviction? Why do we need to understand our calling? The Bible says this. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracy just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasure, exhorting wealth, and they make widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not, and they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. And your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false vision and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord, but the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. And even the common people oppress the poor. They rob the needy and they deprive foreigners of justice. But here's our hope, right? God basically just told Ezekiel that their nation, the nation of Israel from the top to the bottom was corrupt. From the priests, the prophets, the leaders, and the common people, sin had corrupted the land. But in verse 30, God gives us hope. Look what he says. He says, but I look for someone. I looked for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I would not have to destroy the land. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that God is always looking for a path of redemption and salvation to bring to the land. The heart of God is never judgment and destruction. The heart of God is always redemption and salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that God is looking for a man. I want you to think about that statement for a minute. God is looking for someone. God is looking for men and women of God to rebuild the walls and stand in the gap. And what is sobering about that thought is simply this. God has invited us to partner with Him. Part of God's plan of salvation and redemption to the world is accomplished through the church. Right? We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We kind of say that casually, right? We're the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. But I don't think we understand the significance of what that really means. God is a laborer together, the Bible says, with us. We are laborers together with God. We are working with Him. And God has chosen to create instruments of righteousness to bring salvation and redemption to the world through our lives. We're the people, right? God is looking to the church to simply be the church so that through our lives, think about this, through the lives of those who have come to know Jesus, God wants to reach those who do not yet know Jesus. 
It really is that simple. The people who have now experienced Christ have become the catalyst through which God wants to bring Christ to the rest of the world that does not know him. And what's exciting about that is it doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is are you born again? Because if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you are the catalyst of change. That God wants to work through in order to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what doesn't have to happen. America doesn't have to go to hell in a handbasket. There is salvation and there is redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, there will be a final day of judgment. Yes, this world will ultimately get further and further away from God. But in the midst of that season, there is an opportunity for an end time revival through which God will bring in a final harvest. Allowing people to experience who he is. And the vehicles and the vessels and the catalyst of that change is me and you. Please, hear me today. Please do not under, under, underestimate the significance of your life. Do not underestimate the significance of who you are as a believer. Do not underestimate the fact that every day God is looking for you. And he's looking for me to rebuild that wall. And to stand in that gap and build a relational bridge so that people in darkness can cross over into the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest honor and the greatest privilege that we all have. Because as Laura shared this morning, our testimony isn't about us. Our testimony is all about God. And everybody has a story to share if you've met the Savior who rewrites our stories. Amen? So... Let's look at that first point. Let's talk today about calling. So what is calling and why do we need to understand our calling? I want to give you a very simple definition. So our calling is our purpose. It's our mission and it's our reason for living. Our calling is our purpose, our mission, and our reason for living. Let me tell you why it's important that you and I understand our calling. It's important that we understand our calling because if we're not careful, we can have courage and we can have conviction, but we can spend our lives doing the wrong thing. We can be courageous and we can have conviction, but we can spend our lives fulfilling the wrong purpose. Let me, let me just say this to us today. Anytime God does something, Satan counterfeits it. So for every gift of God, there is a counterfeit gift. And for every calling of God, there is a counterfeit calling. And if we're not careful, listen to me, church, if we're not careful, we'll live with courage and conviction, but we'll miss the calling. We'll, we'll settle for a counterfeit calling that does not connect us to the purpose of God for our lives. And let me give you just a simple analysis. How do I analyze my calling? Well, how do you know you're living by a counterfeit calling? Because a counterfeit calling is all about you. It's all about self-promotion, self-gratification, self-success. It's all about me getting bigger and better and better and bigger and bigger and better and better and bigger. And all of a sudden we recognize something. If we're not careful, we'll live courageous lives with conviction, but we'll miss the purpose, the calling. That God has. I'm going to be honest with you. I am greatly impressed by a lot of lost people out in the world. There are a lot of people out in our world that do not know Christ that have great courage and great conviction. The problem is they're climbing the ladder of success, but they're climbing the wrong ladder. And when they get to the end of their lives, they're going to realize that they were pursuing a purpose and a calling that was not the purpose and calling of God for their lives. So why do we need to understand calling 
because we got to make sure that when we live courageous lives full of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that we're actually fulfilling the calling and purpose of God for our lives. So, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul gives us a great revelation of understanding the calling of God for our lives. And what we're going to see as we study this lesson today, we're going to recognize that there is a universal call for all believers. And we're going to dive into that in just a minute. And then there is a unique calling upon your life. So there's the universal call of God. And then there's going to be a unique call based upon the gifts and the grace that God has bestowed upon your life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me pause here for just a second because I want to just clarify what the Apostle Paul just said to us. He's speaking to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift of God that is within you. And how many of you understand that if you are a born-again believer, not only do you have natural gifts, you have spiritual gifts. Do y'all realize that? Amen. So you are, you are gifted by God. So every born-again believer not only has natural, but we have spiritual gifts from God. And then he says to Timothy, and God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. I want you to think about it. Let me, let me just re repackage that for just a minute. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you've got a gift from God. You've been given the power of God. You've been given the love of God. And you've been given a sound mind. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that not only do we have a sound mind, which is clarity of thought, but we actually have the mind of Christ. So think about this. You have a gift from God. You have the power of God. You have the love of God. And you have the mind of Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are set apart. And then he says this, but God has not given us a spirit of fear. So stir up the gift of God that's in you. Let me tell you why that's important. It's important because if you and I are not careful, we'll allow fear and insecurity to keep us from walking in the calling of God. We'll allow what we feel to keep us from what is real. Let me say that again. We'll allow what we feel to keep us from what is real. You know what's real? God's Word is real. You are who God says you are, right? you got divine DNA flowing through your bones. And you are who God says you are. That's real. What you feel is not always real, right? The feelings are real, but they're not, they're not authoritative in the sense that they do not have the right to dictate and control your life. And when Paul speaks to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you because you're gifted. And don't allow fear to rob you because God's given you his power. God's given you his love. And God's given you the mind of Christ. You are fully able and capable of doing what God has called you to do. So stir it up. How many know we got to stir those things up in us? If we don't stir up the gift of God and the power of God and the love of God and the mind of Christ on the inside of us, we end up living a life way below the standard of what God intends. And we begin to live by what we feel. Because let's be honest, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I don't feel gifted, sometimes I don't feel powerful, sometimes I don't feel loved, and sometimes I don't feel like I got the mind of Christ. I feel overwhelmed and confused by life. That's how I feel. But what I feel can't govern what is real. 
Because I am who God says I am, and you are who God says you are. And we've got to be, we've got to recognize the significance of who we are in Christ and stir that up on a daily basis. And when my feelings try to override, override the reality of the Word of God, I've got to bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, he goes on in verse 8. He says, And therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I want to pause one more time because over the last couple months, for December and January, as we've been studying through Scripture, there has been a repetitive theme. Do you hear what Paul said? Don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner of the gospel, but share with me. Look at that phrase. Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. One of the repetitive themes we've seen in the last couple of months as we've looked at Scriptures is that persecution and tribulation is normal Christianity. And I want to remind you of that today. Persecution and tribulation is normal Christianity. Let me tell you why. Because when you start following Christ, you start swimming upstream. You're living a countercultural life. Right? And all of a sudden, you're swimming upstream. And how many of you know if you were to go jump in a river and you start swimming upstream, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be, pr- there's going to be pressure. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardships. But guess what? That should not intimidate you. That should excite you because that means you're following Jesus. That means you're living a countercultural life. See, when we were living in sin, we suffered because of our sin. How many know that sinful decisions bring suffering? But once we start following Christ, we're no longer suffering because we're living in sin. But now we're suffering because we're living in righteousness. And now we're living a countercultural life. And there's resistance and there's tribulation and there's persecution. And that, again, should not discourage us. And I say that today because, again, I want you to understand normal Christianity is there's pushback. Normal Christianity is the world doesn't always applaud you. Normal Christianity is sometimes they want to stone you. And when that happens, I don't want you to be taken by surprise. I don't want you to throw in the towel. I don't want you to give up on God. I don't want you to say, why has the Lord forsaken me? God hasn't forsaken you just because there's trial and tribulation. It just simply means you're living a radical Christian life. And that ought to be good news to you. That ought to excite you that you don't look like the world, talk like the world, and act like the world. That ought to fire you up because that means you're not going where the world's going. You know where the world's going? The world's going to hell. And our job is to stand in the way. And the only way I can stand in the way is i gotta, I got to swim upstream. And hopefully I can cast a big enough net as I'm swimming upstream. I can catch a bunch of people going the wrong way and help turn them around. Amen? So we need to recognize that. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 is our life verse for this week. So again, I hope you got your bracelet. I hope you got your uh, scripture card. And I hope you begin to hide God's word in your heart. Listen to what Paul says. Speaking about God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. He says, God saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So think about that. Before time began, God had already distributed his purpose and his grace to each and every person on planet earth. And then the Bible says in that next verse, look what it says in verse 10. It says, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me tell you what happened when Jesus came. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection awakened the purpose and grace of God that was in you from the foundations of the world. Before Jesus Christ, listen to me, before Jesus Christ, under the old covenant, people lived by rules and regulations. It was intellectual action and physical discipline that produced obedience to the law. But when Jesus came, come on somebody, this is good. When Jesus came, all of a sudden it went from intellectual effort and physical discipline to now I am empowered by the Holy Spirit because Christ awakened in me the purpose and the power and the grace of God to live the life he's called us to live. So no longer is my Christian life, Christianity has never been, let me say that again, it has never been defined by the efforts of my flesh. Christianity is defined by the power of the Spirit, the purpose of God, and the grace of God that was given to us before the world began. So you had this dormant seed on the inside of you called the purpose and grace of God. And until Jesus came, it lay dormant. But when Jesus came, he brought life and immortality to light. And something came alive on the inside of us. When you got born again, you got born again into the purpose of God. And you got born again into the grace of God in a way that now connects you to the calling of God upon our lives. And how beautiful it is. Amen? So look at that next point. So we have all been saved And called with a holy calling. And a holy calling is a calling that sets us apart for God. The word holy literally means just to be set apart. What does a holy calling do? We've been saved and called with a holy calling. God, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of Jesus Christ that was given to us before time began, has set us apart with a holy calling. We have a holy calling that has distinguished us from the world. How many of you understand that when you start following Jesus, that sets you apart? Right? We're set apart because we're following Christ. We're set apart because we're no longer living for the things of this world. We're living for the God who created this world. And all of a sudden, I'm set apart. I'm not living for self anymore. How many know when you stop living a selfish life and you start living a Christ-centered life that actually cares about other people more than you care about yourself, you'll be different? It's one of those differences that makes a difference in the lives of people around you. And all of a sudden, I'm not living for this world. I'm not living for self. I'm living for Christ. And because I'm living for Christ, I actually care about people. And I actually value people. And I actually consider other interests even as being more important than my own. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. And you begin to be set apart because you're now living a holy life. You're not better than anybody. You're just different than everybody. I mean, you know that we're not better than, we're just different than. 
So we've all been set apart with a holy call. Now let's talk about this universal call. So the universal call for all believers, I'm going to boil it down very simple. The universal call for all believers is first of us for us to follow Jesus. Our high calling is number one, i got to follow Jesus. Let me just say something. You never outgrow that. You never get to a place of maturity in your walk with Christ where you stop following Jesus. As a matter of fact, the moment you stop following Jesus, you just disqualified yourself from what it means to be a Christian. To be Christ-like. To follow Him. And so the universal call for all believers, the high calling of God, holy calling over life, is first of all that we're just going to follow Jesus. And then not only are we going to follow Jesus, now we're going to start representing Jesus to the world. So look what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is speaking. He's calling literally his first disciples. And look what he says to them. Then he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, listen to me. And he didn't say, study me. He said, follow me. Christianity is an active engagement of life. Christianity is not just listening. And it's not just studying. There are a lot of people who are students of scriptures, but they're not followers of God. And they're really good at arguing the Bible. They're just not real good at following Jesus. And Christianity is not about just studying or listening. It's about following. If I'm following, I'll listen. If I'm following, I'll study. If I'm following, I'll do those things. But I can study and not follow. I can listen and not follow. I can be a hearer but not be a doer of the word. And so Christianity, the high calling of Christianity is, first of all, I'm just going to follow Jesus 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year until he comes back. That's my high calling. That sets me apart. That makes me holy under the Lord, that I am following Christ. Matthew 16, look what he says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. John 10, 27, I love this verse. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? They follow me. So the, the high calling, the holy call of Christ for all believers is, number one, that we follow Christ. And immediately, immediately, this is what I love about Jesus. Immediately, the moment you start following him, now Jesus wants you to begin to not just follow him. He wants you to represent him. He wants you to be a physical manifestation of the supernatural presence and power of God that's working in your life. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. When do we become ambassadors for Christ? When we get reconciled to God. God reconciled us to himself through his son Jesus Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and now I'm an ambassador for Christ. The word ambassador literally means to represent. Let me break it down. To represent Jesus. See, our job is to represent Jesus to the world. To represent him by representing him, representing, representing his love, representing his truth, representing his power, representing his glory, representing his grace, so that the world can see in us the glory and the grace of God. 
How many know the greatest declaration of your faith is not your words, it's your actions? The greatest declaration of your faith is not your words, it's your actions. Words are powerful and words are significant. And we got to speak, but we also got to live. Can I get an amen? Francis Assisi, I believe is who it was, made a statement. He said that, that every day we should always preach the gospel everywhere that we go. And he said, and if it's necessary, we need to use words. We should always preach the gospel everywhere we go. And if necessary, we need to use words. Why? Because the greatest declaration of your faith is your life. Are you representing, representing Christ to the world? Let me just tell you what happens. Every time you follow Jesus, every time you step out in obedience to the Lord, you rebuild the walls of righteousness. You reestablish the truth of God, the grace of God, the power of God, and the right standing of God. You, you will reestablish that in the world you're living in. And every time you represent Christ, every time you present him for who he really is, you know what happens? You stand in the gap and you become a bridge for people to cross over out of darkness into light. They begin to see something in you that they don't see in the people around you, and they begin to desire to have what you have. Right? There's something in you. You don't react the way everybody else reacts. You don't respond the way everybody else responds. You don't, you don't just say what everybody else says, and you don't do what everybody else does. There's something different about you, and it's not a weird different. It's a good different. How many know there's a weird different? <laughs> not saying chase that one. But there is a good difference that causes you to represent Christ and stand out in a way that desires, causes other people to desire to know the one that lives on the inside of you. Now, I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians 7. This is where I wanted to go the whole message, so we finally got here. Here we go. I want you to listen how the Apostle Paul encourages the Corinthian believers to fulfill God's call on their life. Listen to how he encourages them to do that. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. He says, let each one... Remain in the same calling with which he was called. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And then he kind of defines what he's talking about. Look at verse 20. He says, were you called while a slave, then don't be concerned about it. So this is what Paul is saying. He says, let every man remain in the calling wherewith he was called. So he says, if you were called, and when he's talking about being called, he's talking about accepting the call to follow Jesus. Because that's what salvation is. I accept the call that I'm going to follow Jesus and he's going to be my Lord and my Savior. He says, so if you got saved while you were a slave, don't worry about it. Just be a slave that now follows Jesus. Be a slave that follows Jesus. If you got saved while you were a slave, don't worry about the fact that you're a slave. Just follow Jesus. Now look at the next little part. He says, but if you can be made free, rather use it. So he's not saying you got to stay a slave. He's saying, hey, if you can get free from slavery, that's wonderful. Get free from slavery. But no matter what you do, you got to follow Jesus and represent Jesus wherever you're at. Let me tell you something today. I want us to hear this today. Significant to your life and my life is that we need to understand there's a difference between occupation and vocation. The word occupation comes from the word that literally means to occupy space. Most of us have an occupation. We go to work every day and we occupy a space. And maybe the space you're occupying is you're a plumber, maybe you're a preacher, maybe you're, a, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. 
Maybe you're a homeschool educator. Maybe you work at Walmart or at McDonald's. Maybe you run your own business. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. But we all have an occupation. That's a space that we fill. But here's what I want you to see. God says, regardless of your occupation, remember you have a vocation. The word vocation literally means the word vocation. Vo means voice. It means a calling. You have an occupation, which is the place you occupy, but recognize something Paul says. Not only do you have an occupation, but you have a vocation. You have a high calling from God, and your high calling is that you would follow Jesus and represent him wherever you are. Doesn't matter if you're a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. How many know I got grandkids? Come on, somebody. Listen to what he says. He goes on here. Look at this. Verse, verse 22. He says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave, look at this, is the Lord's free man. He said, If you're a slave and you come to Christ, you're actually free. Look at verse 22, the last part. He says, Likewise, he who is, he who is called while there is free is Christ's slave. He said, If you're a slave in the natural and you come to Christ, well, then you're free because of Christ. If you're free in the natural and you come to Christ, well, now you're a slave to Christ. You're now to serve the Lord by following Him. Look at verse 23. So you were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of men. That's huge. Don't become slaves of men. This is where our calling and our purpose comes in. Don't work for the man, work for Jesus. Don't be a slave of man. It doesn't matter what your occupation. Are you an engineer? Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Are you a painter? Are you a factory worker? It doesn't matter what your occupation is. You have a holy vocation. And let me tell you something significant. When you got saved, salvation, let me, just, let me back up and reframe it. The way that Jesus Christ reaches the world with the gospel is that he saves people in the world and turns their occupation into a vocation where the gospel now penetrates every realm and every region of life. So think about it like this. If when you got saved, everybody quit their job and came and hung out at the church and we sang Kumbaya seven days a week. If when you got saved, everybody quit their job and came to the church, you know what would happen? We would take the light of Christ out of the world. We would take the light of Christ out of the world. We gather so we can grow, and we grow so we can go back out into the world. Because it's when you're on your occupation that you can fulfill your highest vocation, and that is to follow God. So think about it. How in the world do intellectual engineers who are sometimes too smart for God, how do they come to Christ? Well, Matt gets saved. And all of a sudden, Matt's an engineer. And Matt starts going to work with a bunch of intellectual engineers. And he starts following Christ. And every time he follows Christ on the job, he does what is right in the eyes of God. He just rebuilds the walls. And every time he represents Jesus, all of a sudden he builds a bridge of reconciliation so that those intellectual engineers who many times are too smart for God can begin to see an image of Christ they've never seen before and cross over out of darkness into light. How do doctors get saved? How do factory workers get saved? How do truck drivers get saved? How do nurses get saved? How do entrepreneurs get saved? How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. 
God saves you right where you're at, and he wants to leave you there. I'm not saying you can't get a new job. That's not what I'm saying. Paul said if you can, if you can get free from where you're at, get free from. If you want to better your life, better your life. If you want to get a higher education, get a better job, make more money, do all those things. But rem- remember something. This is what you got to remember. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. Your vocation never changes. Doesn't matter. So that's why, that's why as a Christian right now, wherever you're at, let me, let me just be honest with you. I'll, I'll make a pastoral confession, right? So here's my pastoral confession. For years, I laid carpet. I was, I was pastoring and laying carpet, and I hated laying carpet because I knew God had called me to be a pastor. And I felt like my occupation was standing in the way of my vocation. And one day, I was actually laying carpet at Brother Curtis's house. And I'm laying carpet at Brother Curtis's house, and Brother Curtis asked me, he said, hey, can I take off work and stay there? I'd like to help you. And if you work construction, you know how that works. If the, if the owner helps you on the job, you charge them double. Because <laughs> now it takes twice as long. But uh, so Curtis took off that day. He's home helping me lay carpet in his house. And the whole time we're sitting there, he's just telling me, man, this is amazing, Pastor Keith. Boy, you're really talented at this. You're really good at this. Man, mine, everybody can't do this. He said, man, are you, how are you marketing your business? How are you growing your business? How are you? And the whole time I'm sitting in my mind thinking, are you crazy? Don't you know I'm called to be a pastor and you're trying to get me to build this carpet laying bed? Don't you know I hate laying carpet? God's called me to be a pastor. And, and Brother Curtis just kept on. And in my mind, I just kept on thinking those same thoughts. So I'm driving home that day in my, I don't remember, if my, my old, anyway, my old van or my truck, I'm driving home. And I, I'm talking to God about it. I'm just telling the Lord how wrong Curtis was. <laughs> and God, don't he understand what you called me to do? And I'll never forget it. The Holy Spirit said, Curtis is right. He said, your occupation is a platform for your vocation. Your occupation is a platform for your vocation. Your occupation is not hindering your vocation. Your occupation is the the breeding ground for success for your vocation. And I repented. Kelly remembers that day. I repented of my sin because that was sin. And all of a sudden, things changed because I began to recognize that my occupation was that platform for my vocation. And that I would be invited to go into people's homes and I could share the gospel with people that would invite me into their house and pay me to be there that would never come to church. Think about that. They're paying me to preach the gospel to them. How good is God? Now, let let me give you another point. Look at that next point. I want you to see this. So every, every believer is called to full-time ministry. Every believer is called to full-time. Now, again, I'm not saying you can't change. and I'm not saying if there's a ministry call, God won't transition you into a full-time ministry position as we call it. But I want you to understand, every believer is called to full-time ministry. Your life is your mission field. How many of you realize that your life is your mission field? You're, you're meeting people I'll never meet. You have relationships with people I'll never have relationships with. You're crossing the path of people that I'll never cross the path of. And you're interacting with people that may never walk through the doors of this church unless somebody decides to follow Jesus and represent him on their occupation while they fulfill their vocation. And if you don't, they probably won't. If you don't see that vocational call over your occupational life, then the people you work with will probably die and go to hell. 
God didn't invite me into those houses just so I could do a good job laying carpet. God invited me into those houses so I could shine the light of Christ while I was laying carpet. Now, now let me just say this. Look at the rest of that statement because this is huge. I want you to hear this. You are called to be the best blank, the best carpet layer, the best engineer, the best musician, the best plumber, the best CEO, the best entrepreneur. You're called to be the best of whatever mountain of influence you have. Let me tell you why. Because success creates influence. And the more successful you are on your occupation, the more influence you will have for Christ. Because success creates an attraction. When you're successful, people want to ask you, why are you successful? When you're broke, busted, and disgusted, nobody asks. When you're the last guy on the job and the first guy to leave, and you're the complainer and you're the grumbler and you're the gripper, nobody is asking you how to get the promotion. Nobody's asking you how to solve the problem. Nobody's asking you how do they excel on the job because you're a slacker. And you're just punching the clock, getting a paycheck. And let me just tell you something. What a disgrace to the gospel. What a disgrace to the gospel that we would be slackers on our occupation when our occupation is the platform for our vocation. We should excel. You should be the best at whatever you do. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Be the best stay-at-home mom. Are you homeschooling your kids? And homeschool them to the best of your ability. Are you leading a Fortune 500 company? Then make it the best. And all of a sudden, that platform of success becomes an opportunity for the high calling of God to be manifested in your life. And I can tell you testimony after testimony of people in this church who, because of their occupational success, have influenced and led other people to Christ because people wanted to hear what they had to say because they were the best. So we got to embrace the realization that, that my life, your life, is your mission field and your mountain of influence. And I want to give you one thought, and we're going to close with this. Creed, if you want to come. Jesus, think about this. Jesus builds the church so he can advance the kingdom. He builds the church so he can advance the kingdom. He grows us. He develops us. He empowers us. He quickens us. He, he gives us wisdom. He gives us knowledge. He strengthens us in every way, form, or fashion. Because the stronger, think about this, the stronger the church, the greater the influence. A weak church has weak influence. And the Bible says this. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. You know why that is? Because the state of the nation is determined by the condition of the church. It's really easy to blame the politicians. But let me just tell you something today. The state of the nation is the result of the local church. And when there's a weak church that's not embracing the calling of God, then guess what happens? We have a weak nation that begins to compromise the things of God. But here's the good news. God has called us. God has anointed us. God has equipped us. God has prepared us. And you have an occupation and you have a holy vocation through which God can work in your life. And we change that one heart, one soul, one life, 
one place at a time. I shared that story last week about the gentleman who went to the village who packed his coffin. And on his epitaph, they wrote the phrase, When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. Wouldn't it be great to say that about your place of occupation? Wouldn't it be great to say that about our local schools, young people? Think about it. What if, what if they said, because you came, we were once filled with darkness, but now we're filled with light. How powerful a testimony. And here's, here's the good news. You have a unique calling. You have a gift from God multiple gifts by the way and you have the grace of God and when you operate in the gift and grace of God you know what happens it becomes easy to excel it becomes easy to excel let me tell you let me give you a simple definition of what your gift does your gift enables you to do something with excellence that other people find difficult when you have a gift you can do something with excellence that other people find difficult to do Y'all remember being in high school? Y'all remember that, that student that studied all the time and got A's? And then that other student that barely studied and got A's? Everybody wanted to kick that one student, right? Because the truth is, they both got A's. That's awesome. And hard work pays off. That's awesome. But the realization is one was gifted and one had to work for it. Now, I'm encouraging you to work hard. But let me give you a clue today. What would happen if you worked hard where you were gifted and where the grace of God was upon your life? Instead of just working hard at something you're never really going to excel at. What if you begin to work hard where you're gifted and where the grace of God? So God's gift enables you to excel where others struggle. God's grace, listen to this, God's grace enables you to thrive in an environment that other people can barely survive. Let me give you an example. Imagine you got this workplace over here and you got, you know, you got Jim and Sally and all the different people and there's this demand and the, and the pressure and, and the challenges that come with it. And you can take one person. We'll just take Grace. We'll just say, Grace, we're going to put Grace right in there. Let's just say we put Grace in there. All of a sudden, Grace just excels. She just comes alive. And she's flourishing and she's growing and she's excited. She goes home every day praising God that she has an opportunity to work in this environment, work with these people, and be a part of making a difference. And then let's imagine that we flip the coin and we take Kyle and we just put Kyle in that same environment. And Kyle goes to work and instead of, instead of thriving, he starts dying. He comes home every day. He's miserable. He is emotionally, mentally, and spiritually depleted of all energy and effort. When he gets off work, he is so done, done, done. And there's nothing left in him. Now we could say, grace is just better than Kyle. But let me tell you something, that's not true. The truth is, grace has a grace. I didn't mean to pick that out. That's pretty cool. Grace has a grace on her life from God that enables her to thrive in a certain environment that's different from the grace on Kyle's life. So when Kyle gets in the right environment, guess what he'll do? He'll come alive. This is what I believe about operating the gift of God and the grace of God. It ought to be fun. It ought to be life-giving. I'm not saying everything about it's fun, and I'm not saying everything about it's life-giving. There are hard days and difficult days no matter what you do. But I think that when you're operating the gift of God and the grace of God, you'll find out it energizes you. It empowers you. And you actually want more. 
right? I think about church services. Kelly looks at me. She, she's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, I'm always thinking, how can we do three services, four services, five services, six services, seven services, eight services, nine services, ten services. And the thought of doing ten services in a weekend just makes me happy. It does not make Kelly happy. You know why? There's a grace. Not right, not wrong, just different. And when we learn how to honor that in our own lives and in the lives of other people, you know what happens? And this thing begins to explode. And I can tell you right now, we'll never build enough, we'll never build a building big enough, and we can never do enough services to contain the people that God wants to reach if we'll just embrace the call. If we'll just embrace the call, there's never going to be a big enough building and enough services. To reach the people God wants to reach by simply, think about this, the joy of this, by simply doing what you were called and created by God to do. How beautiful that is. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to go into a final song of worship. I'm going to just ask our prayer team members if they would to come. I want to open the altar up this morning. I want to just challenge you today. Maybe, maybe you are here this morning and you're like I was many years ago. Maybe you've, you've become resistant to your occupation because you haven't connected it to your vocation. And maybe today you saw something you've never seen. Maybe the Holy Spirit illuminated a thought in your heart about who you are and what you're called to do. And maybe you just want to make a fresh commitment. I, I, I'm just going to be honest. I literally repented that day driving home in my truck. I said, Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I want to embrace my occupation and know that it's the platform for the vocation of God. I want to follow you and represent you. That's where it starts. I want to follow you and represent you. And maybe that's you this morning. And maybe you just want to come and maybe you just want to make a fresh commitment to the Lord. Maybe you want to consecrate some things in your life. Maybe, maybe you just need some wisdom and some direction. Maybe you realize you're not operating the grace of God and you say, Lord, I need the wisdom. How do I get there? God can give you the wisdom and grace to do that. Let me encourage you. Start where you're at, and it'll always take you where God's called you to be. Amen? So the altar's open. Let's do this final song of worship together. our heads today. If you need prayer, the altar's open. 
We always close every service with an opportunity that if you're here today and you realize, you know what, maybe you realize today you've never accepted that call to follow Jesus. You've never been saved, born again. But today you know this is your day. And the Lord is calling you unto himself. And right now you know, right now you feel it in your heart. This is not just a mind thing. This is a heart thing. And there's a real call going out, and God is calling you to follow His Son, Jesus, to trust Him, to forgive your sins, and be the Lord of your life. And if that's you today, whether either in this room or watching online, I want you just to do a very simple thing right now. Pastor Keith, that's me. I want to I answer the call to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved today. Just raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today's my day. Today I'm going to respond to that call. Today I'm going to follow him. Just raise your hand. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. This is the greatest decision you're ever going to make in your life. Today, I'm going to answer the call to follow Jesus. Today, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. We're about to pray a prayer right now. This is your opportunity. As hands are going up across this building this morning, this is your chance just to say, Jesus, I'm following you. So let's pray this prayer together out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. If you raised your hand this morning, our ushers have a packet we'd love to give to you. If you did not get one of those, please see an usher on your way out. We want to follow up with you, help you take those next steps. We love you. God bless you. Have a great, great day in the Lord. Hope to see you back tonight at 6 p.m.